0: Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Whatever time it is you're listening to this episode, welcome to the Indiana Lawyer Podcast, your audio source for news in Hoosier law. Brought to you by Taft. I'm Jordan Morey, managing editor of the Indiana Lawyer and your host.
1: And I'm Olivia Covington, co-host and editor of the Indiana Lawyer. Wherever you're listening from today, thanks for tuning in.
0: Like last week, we'll open today's show with some headlines before diving into a one-on-one interview with a leader from the Hoosier legal community.
1: On this week's episode, new Indiana State Bar Association President Clayton Miller stopped by our office on Monument Circle to talk about his new role with the organization as well as upcoming plans for the ISBA.
0: We appreciate all the response we've gotten from the inaugural episode and are excited to bring number two to you today. So let's get to it. It's November 17th, 2021, and these are your headlines. First, news from the Indiana Supreme Court. On November 3rd, Stephen David, the 106th Justice of the Indiana Supreme Court, announced his plans to retire in the fall of 2022. During an interview with Indiana Lawyer on November 4th, the longest serving member of the Supreme Court explained he felt he needed to step down after his wife, Catherine Pulley, an attorney and a commander in the U.S. Navy Reserves, was called to active duty.
2: That's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Um, My wife is an officer in the United States Navy Reserves, She served on active duty for years and she's been a member of the reserves. Just like I served on active duty and was a member of the reserves. Had post 9-11 mobilizations. She's had post transfer from active from active to reserve mobilizations. And the United States Navy recently came after her very hard. Um, And uh, um, all within the last now six weeks, She's been recalled to active duty. So she's taken a leave of absence from her position with the Indiana State Bar Association. They've been great. And she's already in Norfolk, Virginia. And um, I just need a little bit more flexibility. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I can't be the justice that I want to be and, and be focused on trying to do what I need to do to, to support her and her very challenging assignment as essentially the general counsel for the two-star admiral who commands all of the United States Navy reserve forces. And um, uh, nor do I believe that I can phone it in. Or...
0: David has served on the Supreme Court bench since 2010 when he was appointed by then-governor Mitch Daniels. Prior to that, he served on the bench of the Boone Circuit Court for 16 years. David said he's unsure what's next for him, but he hopes to serve as a senior judge and will continue to chair the Commission of Equity and Access and the Indiana Conference for Legal Education Opportunity. Additionally, he said there are several other initiatives his colleagues have asked him to stay involved in.
2: Probably not going to work at Starbucks because I could not figure out all the different drinks. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to be, it's, 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 it's exciting, it's exciting. It's petrifying. It's, um, um, but it's, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's a great opportunity for somebody else. It's a, it's a great opportunity uh, for Indiana.
0: Next, some news from the executive branch. Earlier this month, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita announced a trio of lawsuits challenging federal COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Indiana Governor Eric Holcomb called for a lawsuit against the federal mandate, and Rakita responded with three. The first lawsuit challenges the mandate for federal contractors, and is joined by the Attorneys General of Mississippi and Louisiana. The second takes aim at the OSHA mandate for workers at businesses with 100 employees or more, and the third challenges the mandate for all health care workers who work at facilities that participate in Medicaid and Medicare. Rakita says the mandates will apply to state and local governments in the Hoosier State, and employers who don't comply could face penalties of up to $14,000 per violation. He also says tens of millions of Americans could lose their jobs. The Indiana Attorney General calls the mandate handed down by the Biden administration excessive government overreach. Here, he is discussing the lawsuits in a press conference. If you hear the sound of typing in the background, that's just one of our reporters taking notes. This announcement by the Biden administration is particularly egregious uh, to have during a time uh, when our country is already dealing with uh, not only a supply chain crisis, but we're dealing with inflation, we're dealing with an economic crisis. We're dealing with an immigration crisis, and we're also dealing with a lack of employment opportunities.
3: This edict is unlikely to win the hearts and minds of Hoosiers or any Americans who don't want
0: to be vaccinated. Now for some law firm news. In our latest issue, we told you about three firms experiencing leadership changes. Ice Miller, Hall Render, and Church Church Hittle & Antrim. Now, we have a fourth firm to tell you about, Barnes & Thornburg. Bob Grant has announced that he will step down as managing partner of Indiana's largest law firm next November. Andy Dethridge will succeed Grant as managing partner. Grant has served as Barnes' managing partner since 2014, leading the firm to a 40% increase in revenue and overseeing the opening of eight new offices. For his part, Dethridge says he's very passionate about the firm and wants to continue to lead the firm to grow strategically, following Grant's growth strategy. Dethridge is a 1990 graduate of the Indiana University Robert H. McKinney School of Law and has worked at Barnes for his entire career, starting as a law clerk. Grant says he has worked with Dethridge for most of his career and believes that, quote, the future leadership of Barnes and Thornburg is in excellent hands, end quote. Now, for some news from our office here in downtown Indianapolis. If you picked up our last issue, you know that we've announced the 2021 winners of our annual Leadership in Law Awards. We told you in our last episode about our two new categories of winners, Legal Support Stars and the Lifetime Achievement Award. We got to honor those winners as well as our annual Distinguished Barristers and -and up-and-coming lawyers at a breakfast event on November 9th. Here's Indiana Lawyer Editor Olivia Covington with some highlights from the event.
1: We had a great time on November 9th, recognizing the 37 winners of our annual Leadership in Law Awards. We held a breakfast in the Indiana Roof Ballroom in downtown Indianapolis, and we got to hear directly from each of our winners through short videos they had recorded. We also heard remarks from our two inaugural Lifetime Achievement Award winners, Lacey Johnson of Taft Law and former Congresswoman Susan Brooks. Lacey was unable to be there in person, but he sent in a video thanking his mentors and reflecting on his career. The two winners have known each other for years and each shared their perspectives on the day they met, though neither knew the other was going to talk about that day. It was at 38th and Fall Creek in Indianapolis and Congresswoman Brooks was deputy mayor of the city. She was representing the Indianapolis police in tense discussions with the brothers of the Nation of Islam over soliciting in the streets. Here are Congresswoman Brooks and Lacey describing what came next. And truly Lacey, who I really did not know, appeared like an angel for me. Congresswoman Carson, who I had had a nice relationship with, sent him to help me. Mayor Goldsmith was gone, and I needed help. I needed a lot of help that day. Um, But with Lacey's uh, partnership, we worked through a lot of very difficult issues throughout the evening. And truly, I believe in large part because of Lacey and me having the faith in this amazing lawyer and who became a dear friend, who came to me. He was a a guardian angel for me.
3: Susan, to her actions that night, probably averted an incident, if not a riot, in the city of Indianapolis. I went on to continue to work with Susan. She joined me at Ice Miller for several years, and then she moved on to Ivy Tech and became the, ultimately the Congresswoman for part of Indianapolis. Susan is an excellent individual, and there couldn't be a more deserving recipient of this award.
0: Congratulations again to all of our 2021 winners. As we wrap up this week's headlines, we want to tell you about an interesting story we're working on for our next issue. On Monday, the Indiana Supreme Court announced members of the news media will be permitted to broadcast in-person proceedings in five Indiana trial courtrooms through a new pilot project. The pilot will also allow the rebroadcasting of live-stream proceedings. Judges in Allen, Delaware, Lake, Tippecanoe, and Vanderburgh counties are participating in the pilot, which will commence on December 1st. The pilot, which will last four months unless extended or terminated at the Supreme Court's discretion, comes following discussions initiated by the Community Relations Committee and the Court Security Committee of the Judicial Conference of Indiana, in conjunction with the Hoosier State Press Association and the Indiana Broadcasters Association. IL reporter Katie Stancombe is on the story, which you can read in the November 24th issue of The Indiana Lawyer and theindianalawyer.com. Okay, that's it for this week's headlines. For more on any of these stories or on other news happenings in the Indiana legal world, visit theindianalawyer.com. Next up is our interview with ISBA President Clayton Miller. Keep listening to hear from Clayton. You don't want to miss it.
1: Tapped today's modern law firm. At Taft, we cultivate a highly respectful, transparent workplace that fosters creativity, teamwork, inclusion, and diversity. We couple our culture with a client-first approach, rewarding lawyers who understand their clients' goals and work to deliver success. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com.
0: For this week's extended interview, we have Clayton Miller, the newest president of the Indiana State Bar Association. Clayton, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you stopping by. It's my pleasure to be here, thank you for having me. For listeners that may uh, just be getting to know you now, um, please tell us a little bit about your background, particularly um, on access to justice issues and the
3: rule of law. Okay, well, um, of course my general background is as a lawyer. Um, I went to the IU Maurer School, graduated in 1993, I had a two-year clerkship for Indiana Chief Justice Randy Shepard and then was the chief administrative law judge at the Indiana Utility Regulatory Commission for a little more than four years after my clerkship. Moved to Washington, D.C. where I had worked for three years between college and law school and in my second second stint In D.C., I worked as an attorney advisor at the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. They had, at the time, an Office of Public Utility Regulation. So that was somewhat familiar uh, territory, but a particular um, uh, focus uh, that was new to me at that time. And then uh, I was invited to come back to Indianapolis and go into the private practice at the firm that was then known as Baker & Daniels. Uh, Mike Houston was an attorney at the time on the utilities team, I worked with him along with Fred Schlegel. Uh, after, I think it was around nine years there, my uh, one of my law school classmates was the head of the Indianapolis office for the Evans-based, Evansville-based firm, Bamberger, Foreman, Oswald & Hahn. I moved over there uh, and was there for, gosh, uh, well, I was in the same office for <laughs> um, 11 years, but uh, uh, we, we merged uh, at some point, uh, I think it was 2017. So I m- went to Bamberger in 09, uh, in 2017, we merged with a Kentucky-based firm, Stall & Ogden and I was there for three years. And then after uh, the experience of working from home during COVID, I decided to go ahead and try hanging out my own shingle as a solo practitioner uh, right after Labor Day of last year. So I've been on my own as Clayton Miller Law PC for about 11 months, about uh, 13 months now. Uh, In terms of access to justice, uh, which was one of the issues you mentioned, Uh, I'd say my involvement has been pretty much exclusively through the Bar Association, through the Indiana State Bar Association. Um, Earlier in my career, I was uh, appointed to the improvements in the Judicial System Committee, and we had a variety of issues that we worked on there. At at some point, usually there, uh, I I know during that time, there was uh, uh, an effort to address Election of judges um, and the process and so the somewhat uh, disjointed process in Indiana that we've had uh, over the years um, and uh, the uh, the bar association's position in terms of um, merit selection of judges is that we we support that uh, we do not support partisan election of judges which. Uh, is the norm in some other states, and I think those results uh, present a cautionary tale for moving in that direction in our state. Um, But also through my involvement with the uh, ISBA membership and membership benefits committee, we've had a focus on uh, other ways to reach out uh, to uh, attract more diverse members to the ISBA. Um, We have a a diversity statement that uh, was drafted uh, on which I had some involvement several years ago under the auspices of Rod Morgan when he was the president, and I worked with attorney Carl Butler uh, on drafting that statement. Um, And then I've participated in various um, Programs that uh, the Supreme Court has organized over the years for access to justice, specifically, and uh, discussing ways that that can be improved and and supplement additional you know existing efforts along those lines.
0: So, what has it been like uh, for you so far transitioning into this new leadership position with uh, the ISBA?
3: Well, it's uh, it's fairly new for the actual position. I uh, we're speaking on. Monday afternoon, and I just uh, formally was, uh, uh, I guess, inducted as the president, if that's the right term, this past Friday afternoon. But um, as you may be aware, there's a, a lengthy uh, buildup to that point. So I served one year as vice president, and then one year as president-elect, and now I'm three days into my, my term as president. But uh, during that time when I was VP and President-Elect, I also served on our Board of Governors. So that's a good opportunity to begin getting back involved in some of the, the most current issues that the State Bar is dealing with. And um, to engage with our staff, not only our Executive Director, Joe Skeel, but many of the other staff members who report to Joe and have specific um, Uh, portfolios that they're for which they're responsible
0: Uh, yeah kind of speaking about the summit I was able to attend the delegates meeting um, on Friday morning Um, and kind of building off that what were some of the major takeaways that you had um, during that meeting
3: well um, it it was uh, as you may have uh, observed especially if you have any familiarity with the way we have done that in the past this was a little bit different um, a, a hybrid approach with uh, several people in the room, but also many people participating, many delegates participating remotely. And um, I was pleased to see that once we got into uh, the, the meat of the meeting, uh, it, it worked out reasonably well to have that kind of hybrid participation. So it wasn't just people passively viewing but when when there were questions some of those questions were in the room some of those questions came online and I think there was there was good feedback that uh, the presenters were able to get um, I guess I'd, I'd have a couple of takeaways one uh, there the most I'd say lengthy um, part of our House of Delegates meeting this year involved presentations uh, through, specific uh, initiatives uh, um, of our Supreme Court to try to identify ways to streamline um, their operations and uh, operations not just before the Supreme Court but in the judiciary more generally, especially down at the trial court level. And within that, there were two areas of focus that the House of Delegates was hearing reports about. Uh, one in the family law area, and uh, one in the uh, commercial litigation area. And that those involve developing uh, potentially different tracks depending on the expected demands on judicial resources and if the parties have uh, are, are needing uh, court approval for something that they are both largely in agreement with or have... If the issues aren't especially complex or contentious, uh, there might be an opportunity to go down a more streamlined path as opposed to the most contentious cases which demand the most resources. And if that can be identified uh, on the front end, that can help, um, I think, anticipate what the, what the, uh, how the case is going to progress and uh, what the parties, how they need to be preparing uh, to present their cases, um, and in both those areas, family law and commercial litigation, I think the, there's some exciting opportunities for uh, for addressing um, backlogs in court and also, um, you know, coming up with speedier results for our clients. The second area that, uh, the second takeaway that I, I remember just thinking back on uh, w- what what stood out. Uh, we, we always have a report from our Chief Justice, and she had uh, a very important family conflict, so she sent Justice Stephen David uh, to speak in her stead, and he did a, a very capable job. And, and one of the takeaways I have from his presentation, uh, which I f- feel is consistent with some of my own um, hopes uh, and expectations for my uh, term as president, was to encourage lawyers to be agents for change. Um, I think uh, I, I'm fully in agreement with Justice David that uh, by virtue of our training and experience, we have something to offer, and we, uh, we have a role, a necessary role to play as lawyers in looking at existing structures, seeing if, uh, if they continue to meet our needs, and if not, how they might be improved. Um, and I think there are some real opportunities coming out of our experience with COVID that has, has forced a lot of us to think differently about uh, the way we were doing things, whether that's the, the physical work environment or the, the way we, we file things <laughs> in court or even get documents notarized, um, something as basic as that. And so uh, I think the the charge from Justice David, which I would want to echo, is for lawyers to be viewing themselves as uh, change agents um, with uh, a, the goal of, of trying to um, drive positive changes, uh, not just in access to courts, but a number of areas of our of our practices and how we integrate uh, how we interact with our various communities. One of the things that
0: um, it seems like has been talked about quite a bit recently with the ISBA is the new strategic plan that um, has been out for a few months now. Um, We've kind of got an idea what some of the key components are. Um, What will the execution kind of look like uh, as we move forward?
3: Well, I think that's a great question. And um, I want to take a half step back, if I may, uh, because uh, you are absolutely correct that the strategic plan is uh, going to be a, an important emphasis for the ISBA in not just the coming year, but hopefully in the years after I'm, I'm president. Um, Joe Skeel, our executive director, uh, has done a very good job, in my estimation, of getting us to the point where we have really uh, been able to hear from our members even hear from lawyers in the state who aren't members uh, about what the ISBA can and should be about. Some of these are are not all that radical or or really any surprise. Um, Advocacy, uh, especially at the State House, is going to continue to be an emphasis in our strategic plan. Um, Education, we've uh, been developing uh, some more robust CLE programming, and we want to be able to have a, a level of quality control over that, so that it really becomes a value add to our members uh, to be able to access those opportunities. Um, the ISBA has always been about connections, um, the facilitating the interaction of lawyers, not just uh, in particular practice areas, but uh, across the state. So one of the things that I've found particularly valuable in my practice as a result of my ISBA involvement is the contacts I've been able to make with lawyers, not just here in my hometown or my current hometown of Indianapolis, but northern Indiana, southern Indiana. Um, You know, if I have a question that, that needs uh, you know, local uh, counsel, uh, whether formally or more often than not informally, uh, I can pick up the phone and, and know somebody to call, and they may not know the answer, but they might know somebody else in their community who can, who can help me out. That's been a great resource over the years, and we wanna continue to uh, focus on how we uh, help our members connect with each other in, in ways that's, uh, that's meaningful. And I did touch briefly on the practice areas. That's a big part of the value of uh, involvement in the State Bar Association, especially for younger lawyers, because they are able to gain access to uh, a wonderful brain trust of, of other lawyers with more experience, perhaps if, if they are indeed the new lawyers, in the specific subject areas of their practice. So we've got listservs uh, that our members have, have really uh, embraced and um, and provided what you know, I would observe to be very generous uh, time and uh, uh, and advice um, that, that is shared freely with with the members on that listserv. and then finally uh, the fourth area involves diversity and inclusion um, for many years uh, the bar has has been wanting to try to move the needle in a positive way. We know our members are interested in uh, making sure that uh, our, our law firms and our, our practices uh, reflect the diversity of our communities, of our state, and uh, how can we do more than just pay lip service to that, that interest? So we've attempted to come up with uh, a structure around those four Pillars, but the other piece of this, which is you know, n- not as <laughs> not as interesting perhaps, but I hope will be uh, will make it ultimately more meaningful, is more structural in the sense that the board has developed this plan. we we want to be in some instances able to be implement involved in implementing that plan, but the primary driver. For this is going to be the professional staff at the State Bar Association. And uh, through the leadership of Joe Skeel, uh, I think our intention is to, uh, for the board to be holding Joe and his staff accountable for measurable progress. And, uh, you know, are they following the strategic plan? The last thing any of us wants is another strategic plan that just goes and sits on a shelf somewhere, and then we continue to be about the business of whatever it was we were doing uh, before there was a strategic plan. You know, how is this really shaping uh, the, the kinds of programs that we're putting on, the, the areas of our emphasis? And um, I'm very much a believer in the, the importance of having the right structures in place to hopefully drive the kind of results that we're wanting to see. Um, and I would I would also just observe that having that kind of uh, of structure uh, I am also hopeful will lend itself to some continuity because I'm only in this job for one year um, same goes with my predecessor same goes with my successor um, and you know, one of the risks I think sometimes in volunteer uh, organizations or organizations where the the leadership is voluntary, and the, uh, the staff uh, is the one with the salaries, um, is that there can be a disconnect, or you can have one leader who wants to emphasize their particular pet projects one year, and then those might be completely different for the next leader. But this will hopefully be a, a means for, for some continuity and ultimately uh, more meaningful progress on these areas. that. Ultimately, our members have told us uh, they want to be a focus. Absolutely.
0: That'll do it for this week's show. Thanks again to our guest, Clayton Miller, for joining us. Uh, all Indiana Lawyer podcasts can be found on theindianalawyer.com as well as their favorite streaming services.